Hello, America. It's time for Uncle Sam Says. And today, my favorite subject. My company, Uncle Sam Says, is committed to teaching the principles of our Constitution to all the students in our schools, including those from other nations. Why would we presume to teach the students of this country, as well as the students of other nations, that which is obviously broken in our own government. At first blush, that question may seem to be logical, especially to one who does not understand our Constitution. Yes, our government is broken, but the Constitution is not the culprit. The source of the problem is we the people, and how we have allowed the Constitution to be misinterpreted, abused, and ignored. The Constitution was referred to by Ezra Taft Benson, who was the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He referred to it as a heavenly banner and as akin to scripture. I know that our Constitution has a destiny to perform in our world, and I believe that American capital schools can play a part in helping to fulfill that destiny. The United States Constitution is not perfect, nor were the men who crafted it perfect, but they were the best qualified men in the whole world and were totally aware of what they were attempting to do. As a group, they were far better educated than any similar body before or since, <laughs> especially including our present political leaders. Most of them were fluent in several languages and were thoroughly schooled in learning from the mistakes of history. While they differed in many of the fine points of how to achieve their goals, and had many fiery arguments, they were all agreed as to the purpose of the final product, and that was to create a constitutional republic. It had never been done before in the history of the world. It was internationally referred to as the Great Experiment, and almost no one around the world gave it any chance of success at all. You see, at the time the Constitution was being written, there were two basic types of governments in the world, and our founding fathers were completely familiar with both. One was based on civil law, and the other was based on common law. Civil law government was developed by Rome and Examples of it were all over Europe and, and the rest of the world in the form of having the power or sovereignty residing in the king or sovereign. All rights resided in the king or sovereign, and he allowed those rights to be given to whomever he chose. All of the people under him were subject to him. Now, common law was different. That was exemplified by England, where he, even though there was a king, all law and power resided in the people governed. At least that was the intent. Now, old King George had become expert at finding holes in their laws that allowed him to become almost the same as a dictator. And that was the main reason why the colonies in America revolted. England had some pretty good laws, so good that they became the template that much of our own constitution was based upon. But because of all the evidence of corruption that the colonials saw, they were determined to create a genuine constitutional republic 
with so many checks and balances that the corruption they had seen in England could not be repeated. That they were successful cannot be disputed. Our country has survived more than 230 years, which is longer than any other nation in history has survived under one constitution. This great experiment needs to be completely understood in terms of its uniqueness before one can fully appreciate the enormity of its accomplishment. Again, President Ezra Taft Benson tells us in his book, The Constitution of Heavenly Banner, that fewer than 1% of the people who have lived upon this earth have been privileged to live under such a republic. The United States of America is a republic and not a democracy. If one of the founders were to hear of this nation being referred to as a democracy, he'd roll over in his grave. A democracy is tyrannical by definition. It is ruled by majority. That means in its extremity that if 51% of the people vote to imprison the 49%, then that would become the law. A republic, on the other hand, is ruled by law. Assuming the law is just, then a simple majority vote cannot take away the freedom of rights of any group or person. Every time we recite the Pledge of Allegiance, we reaffirm that the United States of America is indeed a republic, or was set up as one. The founders of our country were fanatical about ensuring that the federal government could not assume more power than was very clearly and very narrowly defined by the Constitution. They devised a system of checks and balances that were the laughingstock of the world, but they ensured that no one part of our government could overpower any other part. There were originally four major checks against usurpation of power. As a result of years of men pecking away at and, and changing our Constitution, we now only have three checks, the judicial the Congressional, and the Executive. The fourth check was eliminated by the 17th Amendment in the name of progress. The 17th Amendment forever changed the way we elected our senators and denied our states their right to be the fourth check against government excess. Originally, our senators were appointed by the individual state legislatures and were accountable to them, especially in the area of spending. What they spent in the federal arena, they'd have to explain to the state that appointed them, and which also had to pony up the money to pay for it. Now, since the senators were elected by the people, they have no accountability to the state, but only to the people who understand only what the senator or the media want them to understand. They can spend and spend and spend, and who can stop them? The 17th Amendment was a terrible loss to the integrity of our Constitution. Now here, I'd like to clear up a couple of common misunderstandings. First, the words unalienable and pursuit of happiness, as found in the Declaration of Independence. If you look up the word unalienable, in any modern dictionary, you'll simply be referred to a new word, inalienable, as if they meant the same thing. They do not. The word inalienable means not to be removed or transferred. 
That's a good thing, but that's not the whole truth as intended by the Founding Fathers. Their choice, unalienable, goes a significant step further and stipulates that our rights cannot even have a lien put against them. They're unalienable. They cannot even be threatened. In other words, we cannot even give permission to take our rights away or in any other way have our God-given rights held for ransom. Also, the words pursuit of happiness simply refers to our ability to own and control property. The founders knew that there was no happiness. In fact, a man can't not, he can't be truly free unless he can own and control property. Hey, thanks for listening, folks. Remember, you are learning the truth. Tell your friends, speak with boldness, and keep your powder dry.